0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse sorts, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health, to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey.
1: Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about dressage. Dressage has been around a long time and became a popular training discipline in the U.S. during the 1990s. Today, it's one of the most widely sought after of all equestrian sports. Today, we're going to talk to dressage writer Jennifer O. Bryant, editor of USDF Connection, the official publication of the United States Dressage Federation, and author of the book The USDF Guide to Dressage. We'll talk to Jennifer right after these messages.
0: Why the long face? (laughs) I reckon Horsin' Around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsors. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more Horsin' Around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet.
1: Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we are going to talk to author Jennifer O'Brien about dressage. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, First off, why don't we tell everybody what dressage is exactly? Well... It's pretty
2: simple. Dressage is a French word that roughly translated means training and it's basically the athletic and gymnastic development of the horse.
1: And why is it so popular in recent times here in the US?
2: I think it's become really popular for several reasons. One is um, we have many horse enthusiasts uh, who are getting a little bit older and uh, some of these people, when they hit a certain point in their lives, things like jumping no longer seem quite as attractive as they did when they were younger, and they be, they may be uh, looking for an equestrian sport that appears to be a little bit lower on the risk scale. And uh, I think another reason also is that it seems as if a lot of people today are looking for ways to deepen their relationships with their animals, including their equine partners, and looking for uh, ways to really develop a partnership over time um, in a way that, that goes beyond something short-term or what they might perceive as merely using the horse as a, as a tool to accomplish something. And dressage is really an ongoing process of uh, developing the horse and rider gymnastically and... and psychologically as well and in many ways and really can be a very deep and satisfying relationship and um, I think a lot of people have found
1: that very appealing. What is it about dressage that requires so much athleticism from the horse?
2: Well it is teaching the horse to first of all in a sense move with a rider with the same degree of balance and lightness and ease as he does at Liberty, um, and obviously, with the weight of a rider, his, his balance is affected, and so dressage training is teaching him, in essence, to change the weight that he balances, and this requires strength and suppleness and athletic ability that has to be developed over time. A lot of people equate it to gymnastics or perhaps ballet on horseback, Um, Anybody who's familiar with the sports knows that these are things that are developed overnight and they take years of slow and patient training. It's all, there's some elements of dressage that are actually handed down from military traditions. Some of the so-called upper-level movements are actually things that um, back in cavalry days and ancient times, uh, horses were were taught to do as certain kinds of gymnastic maneuvers to give mounted combatants an advantage when they were in and obviously these things take great strength and skill and uh, in in essence the other thing that is is going on is the um, the gymnastic development of what dressage riders consider to be the three basic gates of walk trot and canter the purpose being not to change these in any sort of an unnatural way but to develop the horse athletically to make his gait as pure and uh rhythmic and even and beautiful as possible.
1: Tell me a little bit about the carriage, the way a horse is supposed to carry himself in dressage, what that carriage is and why it's called for.
2: In dressage, the objective as a horse advances in his training is to develop not only um, pushing power forward from the hindquarters, but also to develop develop what's called collection, which is essentially the lightening of the horse's forehand by teaching him and enabling him to shift some of his own body weight to his hindquarters and take more weight over his haunches by, by bending the large joints of his hindquarters, if you've ever done exercises like squats and lunges, you know how uh, how much power it takes to do something like that. Um, the horse is naturally built with more of his weight over his front legs and his forehand and in the development of collection we shift the weight more over the hindquarters thereby lightening the forehand so a uh, a horse in higher level dressage can move with great lightness and ease, and also with great with great power and energy.
1: And it takes a while for a horse to build up the the muscle that it needs to do this. Is that right? Generally,
2: a dressage horse's career is among the longer careers in the equestrian world. Typically, a dressage horse is started under saddle perhaps a little later than some other breeds, and sports, a uh, part of that is because some of the primary types of horses that are used in dressage tend to mature a little bit late. They're often seriously started under saddle until around the age of four. They may be, may be introduced to saddle a little bit younger than that, but um, really their, their, their bones and muscles need some time to develop, So they, they're started a little bit later, and it can take, oh, several years you know, a horse may be just reaching, if all goes well, the top levels of the sport. Not until he is, say, around the age of ten, and even then, he will continue to to develop and gain strength and blossom at the at the highest level, called the Grand Prix level, uh, for a number of years. And it's it's not at all unusual to see. Top dressage horses, even internationally, say in the Olympics, um, it's very common for them to be in there certainly in their teens. Um, not not unheard of to be in their late teens. And um, there are many many stories of dressage horses, perhaps not performing at the Olympic level, but going on to become what are called schoolmasters and teaching a younger generation of, of riders, giving them of some of the some of the movements and things, you know, well into their 20s.
1: It sounds like there's, um, it must not be as hard on the joints and the, the muscles and stuff than some of the other disciplines.
2: Well, you don't have the incredible impact that one might associate with racing or perhaps jumping where you are landing on the foreleg. The horse is all... All of his work is on the flat, so to speak. He does not jump, um, although people sometimes do use jumping as a gymnastic exercise in developing the training. But jumping is not actually part of the sport per se. So there, there perhaps is a, a little bit less obvious pounding. They certainly can sustain injuries. I mean, if you've ever um, if you've ever lifted weights till you got really tired, you know. If, if you work when you're fatigued, you can definitely get an overuse injury. Dressage horses can and do sustain some soft tissue injuries, um, pulled suspensory ligaments, things like that. Um, but in but in general, yes, they they um, if properly cared for and properly trained and not pushed too hard, they can have very long careers.
1: You mentioned you know a couple times um, Grand Prix level. What what are the different levels in dressage, and how are they different from each other?
2: Well, there are what are called the nationals, and each uh, each country's own national equestrian federation would be responsible for the nation of those levels. And in fact, they do differ from nation to nation in terms of what they're called, although they they roughly mirror one another in terms of uh, what they are asking of the horse. But in the United States, the uh, United States Equestrian Federation uh, administers and writes the, what are called the dressage tests, at the different levels which begin with what's called training level and progressing up the national levels, first level, second level, third level, fourth level, and then you uh, would make the progression to the international levels which, as the name suggests, is used internationally and administered by the FEI or International Equestrian Federation, and those levels are Pre St. George, Intermediary 1, Intermediary 2, and Grand Prix for competition mm-hmm. purposes. And okay. each of those levels contains one or more so called tests, which are basically patterns of prescribed gates and movements, and they are, they are progressive in terms of difficulty.
1: What kind of maneuvers or moves would you see in training level as opposed to say third level or fourth level?
2: At training level, you're basically going to see the three basic gates. You know, you're going to see walk, trot, canter. You are going to see changes of direction and circles and transitions between the gates. And the judge is looking for a horse that looks to have a solid foundation, three pure basic gates, and A good solid gymnastic foundation being laid for the um, for the future training when you get up to say third level you are seeing some things that require collection such as what's called the half pass which is a uh, lateral movement in which the horse is traveling both forward and sideways Um, gymnastically takes a lot of strength and suppleness to be able to do that equally in both directions Um, As anybody knows who's ever tried to do an exercise both ways, Um, just as we typically have a strong side and a stiff side, horses do too. So we are working to um, supple and strengthen them equally and also to make their bodies what's called straight. Um, Horses tend to travel with their haunches to the inside. And in order to straighten them and and allow for collection, we need to... uh, narrow the way that they travel with their hind legs and bring their, uh, their forehand, their shoulders, a bit to the inside, again requiring quite a lot of gymnastic suppling and, and strengthening. Um, you also at third level would see things being introduced such as flying changes of lead in the canter in which the horse changes from one lead to the other in mid-stride.
1: We're going to take a break and when we come back, I'm going to ask Jennifer about the Lipizzan Stallions because a lot of people know who they are. So we'll be right back after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right
0: after we round up a few words from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner.
1: Zeus, that's not your food.
2: Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com.
0: C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well... We're back on the trail, so park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't
1: heard nothing yet. Hi, welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pabia, and today we are talking to author Jennifer O'Brien about dressage. Jennifer, a lot of people have heard of the Lipizzans, gone to see shows around the country where Lipizzan stallions are performing. How does the dressage that they do differ from the type of dressage we've been talking about, or, or does it?
2: It does differ in some regards. Um, the foundation of the training is exactly the same. Um, the Lipazan stallions are associated most primarily with the Spanish riding school of Vienna in Vienna, Austria. Um, they demonstrate dressage as it was handed down since Renaissance-type times when that aspect of the the sport, although they... Didn't really call it a sport; it was more a, uh, a horsemanship pastime of the of the aristocracy, and uh, and they they used Spanish stock, um, the Lipizzan breed, and, which had a real aptitude for extremely collected work. Um, when you if you see the Lipizzans in performance, you will see them demonstrate the three basic gates: the walk, trot, and canter. You will see them do the lateral movements, the flying changes of lead, everything that would be demonstrated in a, a modern dressage test up to the Grand Prix level, including um, the highest levels of collection as used in modern day dressage competition, which are two movements called the piaffe and the Passage. Beyond that, you will see some specialized things that are not required in competition um, such as what are known as the airs above the ground, and, which, and, and these really do have military origins, movements in which the horse actually does either raise his forehand entirely off the ground or actually does propel himself uh, off the ground into the air. And he can do this with a rider, without a rider, uh, being worked in hand or on what are called long lines, or even uh, between two pillars. Um, and these are, are very specialized, ancient, classical horsemanship traditions that are truly the probably the, the pinnacle of what of what a horse can achieve in dressage and are and these are not required in competition but they are they are spectacular to see.
1: And Lipizzans are pretty rare. Um, what what are the breeds that are typically seen in dressage or you know, especially at the upper level? Competitions.
2: Well, you do you do see the uh, the occasional Lipizzan. You see some of his, um, I guess I'd call them, cousins. The Iberian type breeds and illusions Lusitanos and so forth have become increasingly popular in in recent years. But primarily, the type of horse that has dominated the sport, oh gosh, at least for the past couple of decades, has been what's generally referred to as the warm-blood, and these are sport horse breeds, most of which originated in different parts of Europe, many of which are named for the countries or regions in Europe in which they were developed. You have a breed called the Swedish Warmblood, the Dutch warm-blood. In Germany, they're named for the regions, Hanoverian, Holsteiner, and so forth, and there are some others as well, and, and these actually descended from... Horses that were used as driving stock, because of course that's primarily what a lot of people used to. They were either using their horses for, for farm work. And you had your draft type breeds, or they were being used for transportation. And of, and of course, um, driving was a main was a main mode of transportation. Over time, people were driving less. <laughs> cars were introduced. Horses became more of a, of a hobby than um, than a way of life and these horses which were developed to have a lot of athletic ability they began to, to be bred more specifically for jumping ability and also for dressage ability and uh, to have beautiful gaits and a, and a, uh, a balanced conformation, powerful hindquarters the ability to have a great deal of shoulder freedom which which both enhanced jumping and dressage movement for extended gaits as well as the ability to collect, and so these sport horses, which have been developed for these purposes over many years, do tend to dominate the sport, particularly at the higher levels.
1: But um, at the lower levels, like, say, schooling shows and some of the the smaller shows that we see, there's a lot of different breeds in there, isn't that true? Oh, for
2: sure, particularly at the lower levels of dressage, uh, certainly in this country, many Many breeds can be seen. Many people compete very successfully with thoroughbreds, quarter horses, Appaloosas. It's pretty much, you you name it. It's it's in a dressage arena somewhere. There is no reason that a horse with three decent basic gates and is sound cannot do perfectly respectably. At the lower levels, is there he a may, confirmation? He may not have the ability to, you know, to be able to learn piaffe and passage. But if he can walk trot canter, he can probably compete at, you know, training at first level for sure.
1: Are there conformational issues there? Like are certain types of confirmation less favorable to doing dressage, even at the lower levels?
2: It is more difficult for a horse that is built very what's called downhill, such as one where his, his croup is higher than his withers, so he is naturally even more so than the, the standard horse build, which is something like 60% of his weight on his forehand, a, a horse that's, that's kind of built that way. is obviously going to find it a little bit harder to um, develop collection and be able to lighten that forehand and learn to, to shift his weight and carry more weight over his hindquarters. It's not impossible, but it it may just be a little bit hard it may be harder for him from the get go likewise, a horse with a very straight shoulder that has difficulty moving freely is going to struggle perhaps a little bit with extended gait in which the the horse is asked to move with as long a stride as possible. Those kinds of conformational issues, crooked movement uh, like leg conformation, such that it could create soundness problems. Obviously, that kind of thing would, would also be a somewhat of a hindrance.
1: Right now, can dressage principles be applied to other disciplines? Oh, sure. And in fact, they
2: are. Um, if anybody has ever read about how the uh, let's for example, our our show jumpers train our, our uh, U.S. show jumping team just won the uh, the Olympic gold medal in, in Hong Kong in 2008. Um, they use many, many dressage principles in in suppling and developing their horses. The old saying is something like, dressage is what you do between the fences because that entails the adjustability of the horse's stride, the ability to to rock him back on his hindquarters, um, to, to get him ready for a large obstacle, the ability to Turn him equally well in both directions in order for him to to um, to, to be as, as quick and athletic and maneuverable as, as possible. All of that is basically dressage, and then then of course you have the most obvious one, which is the sport of eventing, which has three phases. The first one of which is a dressage phase. Then they go on to cross country, a cross-country, uh, jumping course, and then a show jumping course, and. Um, You know, and and so they're obviously, they're judged on their dressage moreover and then apply those uh, principles when they are jumping. Again, a lot of it comes down to adjustability and and maneuverability and overall athletic development.
1: What about in Western riding? Uh, Well, the uh, sport that is referred to by many
2: as Western dressage would be the sport of reining in which the horse is not moving in exactly the same way that perhaps the dressage riders train for but they are certainly showing the training for incredible maneuverability the ability to to lengthen and collect their stride speed up slow down great hind quarter strength used for rollbacks and turns and things like that you don't do a if you do a sliding stop and dressage you've kind of done something wrong so you don't you don't do that but But many of the the basic underlying principles are very, very cross-discipline.
1: Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that you are the editor of USDF Connection, the official publication of the United States Dressage Federation and author of the book, The USDF Guide to Dressage. Tell us a little bit about the USDF.
2: The USDF is the national... Uh, primarily educational federation for dressage in the United States. It was founded about 30 years ago by a group of people who wanted to promote the sport in this country, which which really is compared to the to the horsemanship tradition, and say in Europe, or it really is fairly young. And the USDF's primary mission is education. And to that end, it it has an instructor certification program for certifying dressage instructors and trainers. It developed a model of training dressage judges uh, introducing people who were interested in becoming judges to the principles of judging. Um, it's now called the USDFL Education Program, all being standing for learner. And this model is so successful that it has actually been um, been copied in some foreign countries. Um, those are just two of its uh, major educational initiatives. It also offers um, quite an extensive array of awards programs, uh, very prestigious Horse of the Year type awards at the different levels, and uh, a very large and successful All Breeds Awards program, which is. Conducted in cooperation with many, many independent uh, breed registries to recognize dressage accomplishment by horses in all these different breeds, like we were discussing before. But um, but the USDF is its mission is education and recognition of achievement and uh, promotion of the sport of dressage.
1: Okay, and your book is called the USDF yeah. guide to Um Tell us a little bit about the book and what people would find in there.
2: Well, it's the first commercially published book to receive the USDF endorsement. It is really an introduction to the sport uh, for the person who doesn't know anything about it. That's That's really what it was intended to be. It's intended to be for the person who perhaps they've ridden before. They may have a horse. They may do some other kind of equestrian sport and have an interest in dressage and want to find out more about it and and perhaps get started and so it unlike a lot of the other dressage books out there that used to frustrate me when I was learning it assumes no prior knowledge and tries to really introduce the budding enthusiast to the sport um, from really from the ground up, and and goes as high as second level, which is kind of the introduction of of collection. And it's everything from attire and equipment to basic training, what to look for. It's not how to win at shows, although there is a section on going to shows and show protocol and what to expect in the levels and that kind of thing. But it does not assume that competition is your stated goal. Um, some people get into the sport and they decide, at some point, that they would like to go to a show because, unlike in other equestrian sports, in dressage, you actually get a judge's critique. You don't walk out of the ring and not really know why the judge, you know, placed you or didn't place you. In in Versage, the judge actually fills out a sheet, and and you get a numerical score. For each movement, along with comments, and then you get kind of summary comments at the end of the test. So you are actually handed this piece of paper with a literally a blow-by-blow critique of the test that you just rode, and this can be an excellent way to benchmark your progress, get an assessment of yourself and your horse from an impartial expert. It's a it's a great way of getting feedback, and so some people decide that they want to compete. If for no other reason, then they want to they wanna benchmark their progress. But for whatever reason, it, 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 it does include competition. But um, there are many people who just enjoy the sport and kind of enjoy the journey and enjoy the learning process. And they don't care whether or not they ever go to the show. So, book is for, it's for those riders as, as well as those who might one day think about competing.
1: Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Jennifer, for being my guest this week. Thank you for having me. Sure. And everybody, please check out Jennifer's book, The USDF Guide to Dressage, to learn more about this very fun sport. And if you go to the episode notes page for Horsing Around, you'll find out more about Jennifer and the book and where you can get it. So if you have any questions or comments about horsing around, please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com. Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing
0: and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio, horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin', gallopin' good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on (laughs) PetLifeRadio.com.